This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the AEW Rampage Fighter Fest thing review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of my dadly boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Baby, but before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Cool Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts. We're not only review Rampage, but also AW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but oh, pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick in a sweltering studio to review AEW. What am I doing? Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy. But here's my number. This is weird, baby. <laughs> it's far too hot in this studio already today, and it's going to hit 35 degrees tomorrow in the UK, isn't it? Well, Hot, up here. Hottest, yeah, we're going to hit 40 down south. Down south. Hottest day ever in England? I can't recall a hotter day than that. Um, I want to crete, like... Two years ago, three years ago, I've lost all sense of time. Yeah. And there was the 36 degree in Crete. And that was the day we decided that's like a old like leper colony. And it's like it's kind of a ironic tourist attraction. Yeah. It's like it's very like important part of the of the history there. And it's like a ruins that like, you can walk around and there's like no shelter at all. Oh. And it was like we picked that day and that was horrific, so I'm not looking forward to tomorrow at all. I also like the idea that we're moaning about this, and there's probably some of our listeners, probably in America, also all over the world, we're global, um, that's saying, is that it? Just just 40, is it? Yes. But we have that here, and we don't even break a sweater. But our country's not equipped for heat waves <laughs> no. or high temperatures because there's no such thing as AC. Why don't you just crank the AC, asshole, if you're that hot? We don't have it. We were like... We've there's no window. need. We've got windows. That'll do. Right. Yeah, there's like there's literally genuinely no need. Like generally what happens in this country is that it gets warm for a few weeks and then because for whatever reason it's like, oh, it's a bit warm this. It just let's let's just rain. Let's just rain. We're not used to this. It gets very close and muggy and mm. um humid. So then it just rains. But like all the the hype was um ahead of this weekend was like it's gonna be hotter than ever. 
hottest days in the world, guys. Like, you, just like genuinely stay safe. Like, I know people are going, "Hey, oh, pansies," mm. but it's like genuinely, like you know, there are bad effects from yeah. such de- temperatures in a country that's ill-equipped to deal with them. But I was like, I was prepared. I was prepared. You know what? Paddling pool out, get some watermelon margaritas on the go. Nice. All the rest of it. Let's get loads of stack up with lollies and you know sun cream and all the rest of it. So I went out. I mean, James got my hair cut. So I get the lollies. I get the ingredients for the margaritas, and it was raining. <laughs> so are, 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 you, are you joking? Like, are you absolutely joking? Like the one day where you kind of guaranteed it's going to be so hot yeah. that it's dangerous. That's the thing to worry about. No, no, no the great clouds are the thing to worry about as always. <laughs> but no, it's better today. Rampage, baby. Yes. Was a seven out of ten in a different way. Yeah, because it was a like show a nine and long. then a six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a nine and then a six at best. Yeah, it was a surreal show, this, to watch. Uh, Just to dive straight into it, they started straight out of the gate, no messing about. Um, They're all already in the ring. It's the Kings of the Black Throne uh, versus John Silver and Alex Reynolds of the Dark Order. And uh, Reynolds uh, holds his own with Malachi Black early on. In comes Brody King and uh, John Silver, the big lads of each team. Uh, And Silver gets a great reaction through trying with all his might to just... Finally knocked down Brody King. He's successful after three flying shoulder tackles, uh, and then immediately turns around to just get turns around to get absolutely battered by Brody King. Just sent him flying here. Um, Silver and Reynolds, though, they worked work, work well together as a team to send both King and Black to the floor. Then Reynolds tries to dive onto King and gets caught and driven into the ring apron to take us through a break. And House of Black just dominate whilst that's going on. Um, Bit of a fight back, though. Reynolds ducks a kick from Monaco Black when we come back. Uh, gets in to gets to tag Silver in, who uh, hits Black with a flying uppercut. Uh, an angle slam gets him a near fall. Reynolds come back, comes back in, though, and gets a boot straight away from Malachi Black. And a lariat from King gets a near fall. Silver saved Reynolds from the Gonzo bomb. Uh, and then they double-team King. Reynolds gets a near fall with a jackknife uh, on, uh, on King. German suplex from Silver, you know, the gimmick that they do together. And to break it up, Black comes flying off the top rope with a drop kick to break it all up. Silver goes for the spin doctor. Uh, Black escapes that, hits the Black Mass. Silver's taken out of it. And then Black and King hit Dante's Infernal, Inferno on Reynolds uh, to get the pinfall. Let's talk match, then we'll talk post-match. Uh, can we just talk post-match? I just want to do a nice five-minute D-word littered. Okay. Just... Mark out. So post-match, the House of Black are walking through to the back, and, and you pointed this out when we were talking about in the office earlier. Something or someone in the shadows. Of course, it's Darby Allen. He flies uh, off the top of the uh, entrance tunnel onto Brody King. They brawl all over everywhere, and there's this great visual uh, symmetry, this this moment of just Malachi Black and Sting, who's come out of the, the, of the tunnel, uh, have a stare down. And uh, Excalibur's talking about being a chess match and who's going to make the first move. And they both go to walk away and then they both double back. Um, but uh, no punches are thrown between them. But Darby Allen and Brody King were more than making up for that. Uh, yeah, your thoughts on all this? This was a deft 15 or so minutes of episodic North American TV. Precision engineered to get you high as hell on the high House of Black stable. I left this rampage thinking I need to buy a t-shirt. I'm very interested in the direction of this stable going forward for like more than one reason. I thought this could not have done more in such an elegant and 
deft way <laughs> to really raise the profile of the House of Black and get fans interested in their various future directions. I thought this was fantastic. The match, while not blow away, great. was still loads of fun. Um, never boring at any point. Uh, not particularly rich in storytelling and action, while very good. Wasn't on that great TV match level, but didn't necessarily need to be. Um, what I really liked about it was it was almost the ideal um, AEW TV match in which someone's obviously going to go over, but it's all about giving something to the losing team without detracting from the definitive nature of the result. And I really loved uh, the sequence where they try to do the um, the German suplex thing onto Brody King yeah. and then they jump over the legs and do the pin. Failed the first time because he's gigantic, but then it put over their underdog characters and their resilience to do it again. Made Brody King look like a monster for eventually taking it. Um, it's really smart in its layout. And the post-match, I was absolutely in love with. I think it's one of the cleverest bits of booking, and I love AEW primarily, not for its great TV matches, or although they are an incredible bonus, but I just love the booking. I love feeling involved in the characters. I love the, the resourceful use of time. I love how there's... Very little exposition when there doesn't need to be. And I just thought this is absolutely fantastic. When you when the camera first went to the stage setup and you saw what you kind of clocked only at the last second, mm-hmm. I thought yeah. the direction here was phenomenal. The framing and the blocking of the scene was phenomenal. Only at the last second did he realize, that's Darby Allen. <laughs> and not only was it a great surprise, great dive, great brawl, a great tease for their what promises to be a great match on Air Dynamite this week. But... If you think about it from the perspective of characters, right, that's such an inspired way to sort of attack someone or an inspired place from which to launch an attack because, one, we've never seen it. Two, Darby's, like, so real thin that you wouldn't expect, like, a grown man to sort of come at you from that distance. The actual dive and the timing of it was just absolutely phenomenal. It made him look, like, super heroic and, like, coming from the shadows. It was just a really cool, very inspired visual but the shot composition, imagine being able to say those two words together <laughs> in relation to a professional wrestling program. This is AEW when it's at its best. Mm. This is art. The shot composition when the camera sort of pulled back and showed Malachi Black and Sting, and they framed them deliberately with great blocking ads, like mystical equals mm. almost. That could not have done more to raise the stock and the profile and the, the, the aura of Malachi Black because he was deliberately positioned as the mystical equal to Sting, and even Sting didn't go after him. He held Malachi Black in a sort of reverence of, I can't really, you know, I might get kicked directly in the face with his lethal finish if I go too far in his direction. And it was a mutual sort of respect. I just love the idea that Malachi Black, despite the bollocks he's prone to to spouting in his promos, his, like, deliberate movements, the way he carries himself, the look... Like, if he can just not get in his own way, mm-hmm. he can very much be the current, can go in every sort of weak way version of Sting. Yeah. thought this absolutely incredible bit of direction. I'd love to know if it was... Um, I know the Derby thing was his idea. I think it's just yeah. the way he kind of operates. I'd love to see if Malachi had any, had any creative influence over the Sting thing, so I just thought it was absolutely terrific. And then the Miro promo immediately yeah. afterwards, him calling the House of Black is essentially the he's God. Calling them pagans, I don't know why I've got such a kink for this, but it just works <laughs> so magnificently well. And yes, right, it is becoming a cliche of faction targets one person to either recruit or beat up for reasons. 
not champion, but maybe he's <laughs> just a scalp. But then again, he got the mist in his face, so it's not just we're going to have a feud now. There is an inbuilt reason for these two to exist. I realize AEW have done the recruitment angle to death, almost to the point of parody at this point, mm. but they can still do what are capital T tropes at this point very well, provided the characters are in place and that the, the match itself looks like it's going to be a ripper. And yeah, I just love the idea of Miro either teaming with, joining, or obliterating the House of Black. Like, I genuinely think there's so much potential there. Potentially being pally with Darby Allen and Sting along the way. They've got three members of the House of Black. You've got three... Like, yeah. What a weird stable that I could know. be. It could be absolutely incredible stuff. I was just delighted. I just love falling in love with the wrestling act. I love it when you see something with so much thought, attention... Yeah profile, commitment, like scope of ambition in terms of what you're trying to do with these characters because they've got at least two things going on at this point. Um, with Sting, Darby and Miro, who the, the minute's like two separate directions mm-hmm. that might converge. It's love falling in love with the pro wrestling act, being given a really thoughtful and creative reason to do so. And this first two segments, including the picture-in-picture picture break, did everything possible to do that for me. And I, and I just love how... Now we have AEW, and you know you raised this point in the brilliant the rise of AEW becoming all elite. Michael Sidgwick's book that's available on Amazon right now. Like for years, we were just sitting there going, "Ah, oh, like this is going to be crap," and then it just was crap. Or you like, you know, I'll explain what happened. I felt a bit smug, so they do this brilliant angle with Sting and Darby and House of Black and what have you, and then they cut to this Miro promo, and I sort of go. Well, what are you going to do here then? Because you've got yourself already in this feud. And then I thought, well, I thought, thought you have oh, gone off Miro, have you? What, are you going to get him to do something else? And then they, and then he turns around and goes, talks about the, you know, the toxic juicy yeah, and things like that, right? And, and talks about, you know, in this, in this you know, only, only Miro can get away with using the language that he uses, like you say, and, and still, you still think, yeah, yeah, he'll probably kill someone. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, the last second he said, did you, did you, God, did you make me cross paths effectively with the House of Black to fight them or to join them? And I was like, "What? I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't think about yeah, this. No. I've not even considered this. It was just madness." And then suddenly, yeah, I was on the edge of my seat, and I, I'm very excited to see what direction it goes into next. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with, with, and like, like I said, with the House of Black, which is something that I've never argued that they were bad in ring. I just hated everything else with all the, you know, the imagery was great. Uh, just talking a load of bollocks, and I've, we've had a lot of that in wrestling over the last few years. And now they're just like, yeah, right, we've got Thingy, you know, we've got uh, these recruits, we've got Julia Hart now, and she's got different colour eyes. But now <laughs> it's getting down to fighting Sting and Darby Allen, and Miro's this potential, you know, new character. I just really thought this was an incredible opening to Rampage. One of my favourites. Yeah, absolutely. This is so, so well done on so many different levels. If they can continue this quality and attention and care, like the House of Black could be like a real, real big deal, as opposed to, oh, they're one of the various mid-card acts that I like to a degree because there's just so many. This could be a focal point of the show going forward, and if it's as good as this, it should be. And it kept rolling because we got a uh, world title match next. Uh, Jonathan Gresham defending the ROH world title against Lee Moriarty. Um, and I love the the addition. We've talked about this before of having Bobby Cruz do the ring announcing, and especially having Caprice Coleman join them on commentary. I think he, I really, I didn't really know. Oh, old man, so I didn't really know a lot about Caprice Coleman, but it, it's wowed me. Yeah, that's um, great. Ever since he's done it, um, and early on, Jonathan Gresham, you know, he's got Tully Blanchard Enterprises now. He thinks he is the the Dan, uh, and Lee Moriarty, who you know, not I don't think anyone bought that he was going to win the world title here. 
but he frustrated Gresham earlier, and he was like, this isn't how it's meant to be going. I'm meant to be a big showcase for me because yeah. I've just joined Tully Blanchard and blah, blah, blah. He's getting wound up again, getting, getting mugged off, and, and, and you know, Tully's having it in his ear trying to help him. Uh, and then Gresham starts getting a little bit, you know, starts working the arm, starts targeting the arm. Um, and the bit, uh, the bit I love the most, I was telling Andy about this this morning, so he's, he's trying to cut corners. He's still technically one of the best wrestlers in this company, of course, and that would lead to something a little bit later. But <laughs> now he's got another string to his bow because I like Jonathan Gresham. I think he's incredibly talented. But not just him. Any, like, um, a serious technical heel wrestler, I'm a bit like, eh, I kind of like a bit a bit more space to my heels. On telly wrestling as well. Yes. TV wrestling is its own beast. And so... I can't remember what happened to the ref. The ref distracts himself with something, and Gresham fires back up to, like, hit a huge chop or something. And Moriarty goes to cover up, and he just goes, boop, not shot. And yeah. I'm like, that, whatever that is, more of this yeah. sort of thing. Uh, that took us to a break. Uh, again, Excalibur, he been, must have been playing a lot of chess this week. He called, there's another chess match. He goes, oh, we just had a chess match on the top of the ramp, Excalibur. But anyway, um, and uh, Moriarty fires back up once we come back from the break. Uh he just gets a nice sort of throw uh, out of an arm bar. Uh, great drop kick, single under, underhook suplex with a bridge. Gets him a two count. Um, but Gresham's targeting the arm. He gets a near fall. Moriarty gets a near fall off a cradle, but he's put himself in that position. Gresham suddenly wraps him up in that brilliant octopus submission and just, uh, just wrenches on it a little bit to get the submission victory. Post-match, Tony's in the ring with Gresham uh, and, and, and putting him over. And, and Gresham says... Thanks. I plan on outperforming and, and outwrestling every single person. I'm going to be on AEW all the time, basically. I'm going to beat all your fan favorites. Tully puts over Gresham saying how great he is. He's the best technical wrestler in the world. And that brings out Claudio Castagnoli to, to George Jack with him. I would have liked him to actually say something rather than just sort of shout from the top of the ramp. But regardless, what a match we're going to get on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be quite incredible to watch the power versus technique and then technique versus technique and then even better technique versus that technique. Like It should be an absolutely great twisting strategic battle. And this is a fine, almost very, very good TV match. My only problem with it is that I suspect that some of the crowd noise here was piped in. Mm. It's very, it's much darker, obviously, than um, Dynamite because people do leave. Yeah. They just leave. And um, as a result, like, the lighting's not the same. And there's that dissonance between, all right, I can hear a lot of cheering, but I can't see anyone reacting. Is it because it's dark? Are most of the cheers coming from the people who had seats up? And you're thinking, no, maybe they've just sweetened this in post. So there's a, a kind of a distracting element to that. Um, but some of the wrestling here was as sublime as you'd expect. Like, in moderation, technical wrestling of this caliber is just, even though, like on a TV show where it might seem to not belong, it's just so beautiful to watch. Like, when you get two guys who are so technically gifted at this specific craft, like Moriarty and Gresham are, they can get, they can, like, bring about palpitations mm. and so much drama just by reversing pinholes. Uh, pinholes, pinfalls, and mm. um, reversing the pressure, the momentum, um, not taking any bumps at all. Like in a way, this is the purest form of mm. the art, um, and they did it very, very well for much of this match. One particular spot I want to single out for praise: um, whenever they do something that's a bit like, are they going to run the ropes and do a strike? It always feels because of the work they've done on the mat and how intricate it is. When they do something overtly like general wrestling e. 
it always feels a little bit contrived, but Gresham's so good that when he um, was about to do the clothesline thing, I think he stumbled forward deliberately so that when he turned around, like the drop kick was right in his face yeah. immediately. Like he didn't, he was, there was never any sense that they were just standing there to facilitate moves being done to them. Just the level of uh, detail that Gresham applies to his craft to the point where, all right, if I make a mistake here, in inverted commas, a mistake, one, everyone does it. It's very sporting. Happens in literally every sport you'll ever see. Mm -hmm. One, it's just a sporting mistake. And two, it makes the next spot look so much less like a spot. Mm -hmm. It just looks like another beat in a pro wrestling match. Uh, so yeah, this is good to very good. I hate any kind of piped in noise, even if it's done to a point where you're thinking, is that real or is that piped in? I hate even asking the question. Yeah. Yes, it's not the hairdryer in WWE, but <laughs> ultimately all forms of this are bad. Um, Claudio versus Gresham should be like mental, yes. but in a very, very good way. That card is ridiculous. I was just looking at the card there. Five matches now. Gresham versus uh, Claudio. Samojo versus Jay Lethal. Wheelie Ute versus Daniel Garcia. FTR versus the Briscoes. Two out of three falls. Mercedes Martinez versus Serena Deeb. It's got potential. Got the rest of the card, and I don't want to see that much more added to it, um, is equivalent in quality to that. We could be looking at one of the top three US pay-per-views of the year. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Uh, speaking of Jay Lethal, actually, uh, there was a promo from Christopher Daniels saying, stop talking smack about Samoa Joe when he's not there to sort of defend himself. If you keep going like this, I'm going to slap the taste out of your mouth. Uh, I'm not sure about that on a... Dynamite or Rampage. Like, I've got all the respect in the world for Christopher Daniels. Um, you know, actually, you know what? He had a great match with Danielson. I know it's almost impossible not to. So maybe the match against Lethal, if it happens on, it has to happen on Dynamite or Rampage, realistically. Yeah. Um, or who the hell knows? I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if they hold it on Rampage next week. Yeah. This week, I should say. Eight minutes, they'll be fine. Um, it will get more time than this match got. It was uh, Statlander and uh, Athena versus. Uh, Charlotte and Robin Renegade, the twins you might have seen wrestling on Dark or Dark Elevation. Um, I think the match time for this was like under 30 seconds, bell to bell, because there was like an attack where they brawled beforehand, uh, drop kicks from Athena and Statlander. You've been campaigning to see a wrestle. There you go. Yeah. 20 seconds. Be careful what you bloody wish for. <laughs> um, Athena and Statlander take Robin out with a code breaker from an electric chair, which looked great. And then Athena hits what used to be the Eclipse. Now it's called the O-Face, uh, which is always jaw-dropping every time I see it. Uh, hit it on Charlotte for the one, two, three. Post-match, um, it's what this match was really all about, and that's the baddies. We saw Layla Gray who sat in the crowd with them. 
She decides to get involved and confront Athena, and then Athena and Statlander attack Grey, and then Kira Hogan and Jade Cargill run in to make the save and take out and beat up Athena and Statlander. And Stokely Hathaway looks weirdly pleased with himself, like he sort of sacrificed Layla to put him in this position. You still don't really know where, well, it's implied, but quite where Jade Cargill stands when it comes to, to Layla Grey. But uh, what do you make of all this? Uh, I didn't really watch it, if I'm being perfectly honest. Timeline. Sedgwick household, midday. The kids go out with their great aunt or whatever. Like, it was a Christmas present. Went to the cinema. They had, like, vouchers and stuff. So I thought, right, I'll get Rampage watched here. Yeah. And so I started watching Rampage. I was like, this is a good episode of me and PBB. And then I saw Statlander and Red Velvet come out for a squash match. A squash tag match with the result never in any doubt. <laughs> looking at the clock knowing full well it's probably not going to go more than two minutes. And you know what I decided to do? I decided to hang my washing up. <laughs> and then, you know what I decided to do after that? I sat back down to watch Rampage, and it was all finished. I thought, I'm not, watching, I'm not rewinding that. No. I, I'm not. I have to do tea prep. Um, I have to do various of the chores in the house. And they obviously do not care about this match. They probably care a little bit about the feud, otherwise would not be putting it on telly. This exists to remind you that it exists. And I just think the absolute, complete lack of attention, focus, and give it toss in this women's division now, you can, you can absolutely explain the crowd reactions because why did this exist? Yeah, I was going to say... What did it prove about Statlander's ability or Athena's ability or why did the match take place when there are as yet no tag team championships? What a contrived, obligatory nonsense this was. And I'm just, why watch it? It was like, you know, you say, and quite rightly campaigned to see Athena and particularly Chris Statlander on, on TV more in matches. So it's like you, you turn around to your wife, or your wife saying to you, can you, uh, can you hang the washing out? And you just go outside and throw the washing in a tree. And you go, well, the washing's been hung. Yeah, I know. So, I know. Like, well, you, it's Statlander wrestled. No, she didn't. She hit, like, one move. Yeah. They came across a bit of heelish because they, they started fighting before the bell rang. Uh, it's just stupid, all this. Basically, they have to get a w one token women's match on the show so that optically it can't ever not do a women's match yes. on a TV show because of, you know, they should have equal rights and all the rest of it. Like, I know AEW will do that. They can get, they can get on telly. Mm. It's a complete and utter farce at this point, and I refuse to indulge it because there was zero point. Uh, Lexi Nair is chatting to Lee Moriarty after his match. Stokely Hathaway interrupts and uh, starts offering his services as a potential manager. He's got a card. Matt Seidel's like, piss off, rips the card up. Uh, Moriarty, don't know, maybe look like his head could be turned. What a perfect potential pairing that is. Yeah. Moriarty needs a manager or someone to give him a little bit of a TV quality yesterday, and now he's getting it. That's inspired. Uh, and Sa Seidel reveals a surprise opponent for Moriarty next week. It's the guy who stood uh, one foot off camera. <laughs> Dante Martin just immediately stepped in, shook his hands, uh, and they talk peace, love, and pro wrestling. Peace and war. <laughs> Stupidest thing, isn't yeah. it? I always like it's ruined ever since Moxley said did his thing about it. Yeah, like peace, love, and pro wrestling. I was like, that's a nice sentiment. Moxley's like, well, the bollocks. I was like, yeah, yeah, I think it's crap as well, John. Actually. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, anyway, uh, there. Then we move to the ring where the uh, Ass Boys and Daddy Ass, the Billy Gun and the Gun Club, are there, um, and he's going to talk about Billy Gunn, about what happened, and he talks about 
you know, he loved being being with the acclaimed and he, he treated them like his sons. He treated them better than his own sons. But sometimes he says, what a quote this was, sometimes daddy ass has got to drop the hammer. <laughs> Uh, this brings out the acclaim, no rapping, we're not here to do any of that bollocks, they're here to fight, um, and Billy says, well, before we, you know, we all know where this is going, for one last time, scissor me, daddy ass, and Bowen's just like, no, not having this, just super kicks Billy straight away, uh, they clothesline the gun club out of the ring, and Max Caster raps about how Billy Gunn's, well, he said, hung like a tadpole, uh, What? what's he implying there? You got a tiny cack. And Bowens challenges... Like a third ball. Bowens challenges the guns to a match right now, and they go, no. Perfect, perfect team to just go, do you want that match? Do you want that match? We're not going to get it. (laughs) Broadly, fine, fun. It's, uh, you know what? This is one of those things where the crowd are way more into this than I am. Mm. Um, I don't know what it is with the acclaimed. It just feels like it's an act. So over. They're so over. They're incredibly over. I just feel like they have a ceiling. Um, it's one of those where if AEW didn't have such an absolutely preposterously loaded tag team division, I'd really be rooting for this team. Organic fan support, really great act, really fun more often than not. Bones can more than carry the load of a tag team because remember his little singles yeah. that month before he got injured where he was having matches with Jungle Boy and... His marks as well, and just look great. Um, but my only issue is that this tag team division is so unbelievably loaded that I can't really have space in my heart to root for some underdog favorites and go, Yeah, I want you to get to the top. I don't. Yes. I want Hobbs and Starks to get to the top. I want to see other tag teams on AEW television more often than these lads. I don't know, I just, this tag team division is almost a victim of its own success. And even if you try and use the sort of cheat code that Tony sometimes uses, where you go like, oh, you can't be AEW tag champs. I know they're doing all the gimmick with all the bells, but if you just disregard that for a second, even if you say like, right, FTR's an AEW tag team. You can't have the uh, AW tag titles, but you could have the, oh, wait, the Briscoes are in Ring of Honor. Right, well, you, yeah. can't, be the, you can't be the tag champs there either because they're the best, so... Yeah, I, I really like, I'm really happy with the way that they've developed the acclaimed. Like you say, I think uh, Anthony Bowens, he was, you know, pushing like Wheeler Utah for like showcasing just how yeah. he's, he's exponentially got better and better and better until he unfortunately got injured. Um, exciting to see where they go next with this. And uh, yeah, I'm sure Max Castor is not exactly struggling to write some lines, putting down the ass boys again for yeah. the coming week or whatever it may be. Right, uh, well, it's not time for the main event just yet. I'm not going to steal my own thunder here. There was a pre-match, you know, face-to-face with Mark Henry and private party. You're like, yeah, 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 we're back with Andrade again now. Uh, just Hardy, doing a match. Hardy family office for some reason. Um, but we didn't, uh, we, we're not in contact with you for a while. You, must, you lost our numbers or something. It was your night wedding nice, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and Andrade and, and Jose are showing all the, the masks they've taken off the Lucha Bros. And then it's over to Mark Henry. Well, looks like we've had enough It's time for the main event. It wasn't great. No. No, <laughs> it wasn't. So... Early on, private party goes to double team Penta, but Phoenix and Penta come back with a load of super kicks. And again, there's often bits of the mask being all referenced because of 
the only thing that they went to when they fought the Lucha Bros for about three weeks straight. Uh, Private Party come back, pair of drop kicks, Stereo dives out of the ring onto the Lucha Bros. Quen goes for the 450 splash, but Phoenix avoids it and hits a cutter for a near fall. Uh, Private Party managed to get Penta with their silly string, uh, spinning DDT, and Cassidy hits Phoenix with a springboard cutter to knock him off the ring apron. That takes us to a break. When we come back, Penta hits a sling blade and hits a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker to take control. Uh, Phoenix... I did like this. Gets Isaiah Casti in like a reverse power bomb, so he's got him on his back, and he as he does that at the same time, I'm surprised he didn't injure himself to be honest. He jumps and leg drops Mark Quinn. That was a nice spot. Cassidy though uh, comes back and hits a crossbody on Phoenix whilst Phoenix is on Quinn's shoulders. That gets them a two count. Penta goes to come off the top rope, but he slips, and you just hear the groan from the crowd, and it just felt like everything. Uh, all this sort of air went out of the room at that point, uh, or out of the balloon, I should say. Penta gets a near fall on Quen after the Made in Japan for a near fall. Um, oh, sorry, after he got a near fall from Made in Japan. Jose jumps on the ring apron to distract Penta and him and Alex Abrahantes, which, let's be honest, is the real feud. Uh, they start brawling. Penta super kicks Andrade off the ring apron. Rouge comes in. He tries to attack Penta because the referee's been distracted by all this, but it sort of backfires. Uh, Rouge... Uh, Goes to throw Penta into Quen, um, but he turns it into a Canadian destroyer, and Phoenix hits the black fire driver, which looked great, to be fair, on Mark Quen for the one, two, three. Oh, this did absolutely less than nothing for me, and quite frankly, like, uh, I know that I know what the grifters do. They grift. They say things that they do not mean for the purposes of getting engagement because it's a sad, miserable existence for them. <laughs> My absolute least favourite, and I know I shouldn't get worked up, is AEW doesn't tell enough stories. So are you joking? I've said it one million times. This program is episodic to a fault. Who even friggin' remembers that Andrade was loosely aligned with private party through the sort of degrees of separation with Matt Hardy and the AH? Who cares about the Don't do AHFO law. <laughs> I knew you Who were gonna say that. <laughs> gives a single toss? They didn't give a toss to turn on each other. The butcher and the blade and private party and all the rest of it. Like it was just dead abandoned. Don't bring it in for the sake of a pretty useless storyline, because all it does is it's a desperate scramble to make a story out of everything. And I can see it time and time and time again. The more stories involved in your sports promotion make it feel ridiculously contrived, just an absolutely transparent work of fiction. Mm-hmm. So just do fixtures. The idea of presenting a fixture in this particular context is that, right, these two tag teams... Look at the state of the tag team division. Yes, the booking isn't great, but the actual roster mm. is so strong as illustrated by um, this week's Dynamite. We're looking for contenders now. Have at it. Lucha Brothers, Private Party, they're a new tag team championship uh, champions. They're going to need a defense soon. Let's see what you've got and see if you can get yourself up yeah. the rankings. What on earth is wrong with that story? Why can't they just sell it like that? Make it significantly less contrived. Make it all about the titles. If you did it this way, you wouldn't have to worry about three-way tags, which are the rule now, which is bizarre. So I've got deep problems with this tag division on every other level except the, the, the sheer talent involved. Um, so that really annoyed me for a start. Why? Mm. Just why add storylines when there's no real reason other than just to do them. Such a weird quirk of Tony Khan's. Like everything has to have a reason for being when literally every match through the ranking system already has a reason for being. <laughs> yep. Jesus Christ. And the match itself, me and Hamlet were talking about this on the preview, which you missed because you were um, on holiday that day. Stag, stag, stag. 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 Is it good? 
it was uh, you can probably hear in my voice it was yeah uh we we went out on saturday night he was dressed as macho man randy savage um and uh well show you my chest we thought it was a good idea to practice doing chops on each other oh you look like an idiot <laughs> learn how to work so um, i got back and he's like what have you done to yourself i was like oh we're all doing it to each other it was mainly me mainly very drunk me going he wants to chop me god i see you do a shot like walter huh so yeah it was good all in all yeah, love the stag had a good time, so that was that's main thing. So we were previewing. Uh, we did the greatest hits of Metallica on the SmackDown preview. Yeah, you mentioned that. And on the Rampage preview, me and Hamza both reached the same conclusion. There was a match that these two teams had in October 2019. It was electrifying. Absolutely electrifying, mm. right? And subsequent to that match, I got bollocked by Chris Jericho, who held a meeting as the locker room leader about enforcing tags and not making the referee look... Um, bad and i know chris jericho is a genius mind i put him over more than most genuinely i think a lot of people conflate the performer with the wrestler and by that by that standards he's not even that bad if you look at the general wrestler just but i'm not into that i don't agree with his politics at all but whatever um but he's known as a genius wrestling mind i don't think he gets enough credit for how genius of a wrestling mind he is and yet sometimes he's not always right and he wasn't right here because the second that he was like, right, this is uh, it's embarrassing. You're making your referees look bad. I don't really care if Rick Knox looks like an idiot. <laughs> um, in the course of a professional wrestling match, I'm not really watching for ref, uh, Rick Knox. I'm watching for a really incredibly exciting breakthrough act like Private Party, who, since that fateful meeting, have never recovered. Mm. They've always been told, you know, work a bit more in a TV-friendly style, uh, really best stuff back in, don't be as indulgent, don't be as excessive, don't be as exciting. It's like an anti-AEW value, and they've really fallen victim to it. So this was more like sort of heat work, and yes, the heels, so it kind of has to happen, but it just proves that not every wrestler or not every sort of traditional value should be applied or projected onto every single wrestling act Mm. because Private Party have just diminished and regressed long since that day. This match was nothing like that one they had in Pittsburgh, I think it was, the first AEW Dynamite in Pittsburgh. This was nothing like that remotely, nor was it, as me and Hampler called out, this really rich, well-structured match where you do the little things right. It just felt like a really dull, um, regulated version of that which they once did to tremendous effect three years ago. The absolute definition of regression here, and the Penta thing didn't help, but even before then, it just felt like a watered-down Lucha Mm. Brothers match where some of the stuff was contrived, and if it's worked at such a breakneck um, pace... With such a casual, what are you going to do about it? This is how we wrestle style. The more contrived, the better, because mm. you really love the ambition of how the spots are arranged. If you try and dull that, it just comes off so much more. Eh, I can see the wires here. Like, you can see the wires in the other matches, but they're so quick that it doesn't really matter. But when you try and slow these lot down, these four lads down, it's just not as good as it could possibly be. thought some of the actual moves, like the Phoenix one was good, but like when you can telegraph it, it just looks so contrived. A lot of the duck spots were like, oh, you're only ducking to get kicked the second time around. This just did nothing for me, and I really think they should think long and hard about what they want from Private Party because if they're not the 2019 version of the act, the 2022 doesn't look anything like they wanted it to be. 
Uh, I've got no interest in mask stuff as a story no. beat because at this point, Penta just looks like an idiot for not gluing it shut. I don't know where they go with either of these teams, particularly private party, but this ain't it. Mm. Disappointing end to Rampage. But let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcast, the SmackDown Review, is available right now. Uh, me, Sidge, and Hamflot will be back later on today. So look ahead to Monday now, Raul. But for now, this has been the Rampage Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.